This is the Canna Curio Podcast by Cannabis Media, your source for cannabis and hemp license updates directly from the data vault. Don't forget to subscribe to the Cannabis Media newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to stay informed of future episodes and data releases. Welcome to the Canna Curio Podcast powered by Cannabis Media. We're your hosts, Amanda Guerrero and Ed Keating. On today's show, we're joined by two very special guests, John Manlove and Rob Fess of Apex Trading. Rob and John are cannabis industry veterans with quite a few stories to share on today's episode. Apex Trading is a wholesale management platform that services the cannabis buyers and sellers. We can't wait to hear what they have to say, but as always, we're going to check in with Ed to see what he's got cooking for us today in the Data Vault. Ed? Thanks, Amanda. So it's really been a lot of updates coming into the system. So we've been refreshing a lot of our licenses. Um, so a couple that are sort of top of the leaderboard are Michigan hemp licenses, Pennsylvania processors, Utah hemp, and also Alberta cannabis. So a lot of new or updated information coming in really kind of as we always do. So with the recent updates, specifically Alberta, um, you know, can you tell us a little bit about how how you guys were able to obtain this information? Uh, yeah, a lot of it uh, is either the government has updated the information they have. Like in Alberta, they've changed the way they disseminate the information. It's a lot easier now than it was. They used to post the information about potential licenses if people wanted to complain or lodge some sort of complaint and that information would be up for two weeks and then it would essentially disappear. So now they are actually providing a more stable list. So we've got better information in terms of uh, what's up there and in terms of Michigan, Pennsylvania and Utah, that is essentially our periodic review where the researchers go back on, you know, a daily, weekly, monthly basis, whatever it is to see what's new and make sure that we uh, get whatever information there is, enhance it, and then upload it for our customers to use. Gotta love the data research team, always keeping us updated and informed on new happenings of cannabis and hemp. Well, thank you for the update, Ed. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. And once we come back, we'll be joined with John and Rob of Apex Trading. Stay tuned. Apex Trading delivers leading-edge inventory, order, and sales management tools to nearly 3,000 wholesale producers and dispensaries in 11 markets across the U.S. Apex Trading is wholesale cannabis simplified. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I'm currently here with John Manlove and Rob Fess of Apex Trading. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. We're happy to have you. Hey, Amanda. Nice hey, to Amanda. Great to be here. We're so glad to have both of you guys on the show with us today. Um, you know, I, we're both famil very uh, familiar with uh, you two, but why don't we give our subscribers some background information? Can you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Um, John, you're CEO and co-founder. Rob, you're the director of marketing. Uh, you first started together at Trative. Uh, did you know each other previously? Yeah, you know, this is this is John. So, you know, we didn't, um, you know, I was the first employee uh, at Trative back in 2014. Uh, the two founders of that company were good college friends of mine and, and one day approached me and just said, hey, John, you know, we want to start the Amazon of cannabis. Uh, and being someone who was always uh, kind of an enthusiast of cannabis, um, you know, obviously with the, the intrigue of the uh, this new emerging industry, I, I jumped uh, jumped from my environmental firm and 
and joined those guys to take over and run operations and sales. And then uh, had, uh, you know, obviously the fortunate uh, experience of getting to work with Rob um, a little bit later as, as he came on board. Um, so we, uh, unfortunately, we didn't know each other previously before, but obviously we've become close friends as we've worked together now for almost, uh, gosh, five or six years. I'm sure you both have uh, quite a few stories that uh, you, you could share there about uh, just seven years of friendship. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I read recently that Apex Trading just hit two years. Uh, congratulations. Um, what does this accomplishment mean to both of you? Rob, do you want to jump first? Well, um, it's really interesting. You know, we were just reviewing some metrics uh, the other day for uh, one of our pitch decks and, um, you know, just seeing those numbers on paper, uh, you know, what's happened over the course of the two years. Um, it, it's incredible because, it, you know, it's, it's not just the product that we created uh, itself, but it's, it's all the things around that, you know, the employees, the team, the um, you know, the meetings, the getting together, just everything that has to come together to make that product happen. And, you know, I have a history in startups, so a uh, little familiar with that, but just seeing it all come together uh, and, um, you know, being able to say, look what we've created. And again, not just the product itself, but everything that surrounds the product. Uh, that that really, to me, has been, um, I don't know, just fantastic to, to watch. Yeah, and I, you know, I can piggyback on that. You know, I think that, you know, Rob and I and, you know, our other co-founder, Willie, we've, we've been kind of through a lot, you know, from the trade of days to now and, you know, getting to be uh, in this space since really the first adult use, you know, market came on in Colorado and seeing how the market's evolved, you know, it's been, it's been really thrilling to be part of it. You know, there's always ups and downs in emerging space. Sometimes something I always say is, you know, we're kind of a startup within a startup, right? So it, it really keeps us you know, we're agile, we're constantly making pivots and refinements, not only to our product, but, but what we're doing internally as a team. And I think for us, you know, when I look back at the last two years, um, you know, I'm just, I'm extremely proud. You know, I'm proud that, you know, Rob and myself and Willie were able to kind of come out of, of Trative and with a new vision and a, a new direction of what we felt like was missing within the wholesale uh, e-commerce kind of business management platform side uh, and be able to bring a new product to market that not only is unique, but it's allowing our, our clients to, to prosper, right? I love, you know, something that we're all so passionate about in our space is, you know, our ethos, it's all centers around the plant, right? We're a plant first company. Um, you know, we don't come from Wall Street. We don't come from, you know, big Silicon Valley, right? We're, while we're, you know, very tech focused and we have a great product, you know, we really are passionate about the space. We're passionate about seeing our clients prosper and, and we love seeing them be successful and just being able to support them uh, and hear the stories uh, of how we've been able to, you know, help companies prosper or maybe even save companies from potentially shutting down to me, that's huge, right? So it's not only like our family that we've created, you know, but what we call it is it's our apex trading family. So all of our clients are part of our family uh, and we love being able to take care of them. So me, I mean, for me, it's like, I love seeing the team and we've built such a great, great company here, but also just downstream, what we've been able to do to, to help our clients prosper. For me, looking back on that is there's nothing better than hearing, you know, having a farmer come and say, man, you know, you've allowed me to go from, you know, 10 lights to 80 lights and I've expanded and I've tripled my team and I have all these revenues coming in and I would have never done this if it wasn't for you and your guys' company. And for me, that's that's more rewarding than any type of money that we could make in the short term, uh, you know, with it. Yeah. And, and that's just awesome. Well, congratulations. That's that's really uh, 
a wonderful story. And as one of the co-founders from Cannabis, I, I can echo that. When you hear customers who tell you things like, you've helped us transform our business, uh, it, it really makes you feel good about, you know, why you're spending your days, your nights, your weekends, et cetera, you know, trying to make it all work. Now, I'd like to dig into the uh, business side a, a little bit and, and help our listeners understand a little bit more what you do and, and how you do it. So one thing I noticed, and I want to confirm, is that you're now in 11 states and I'm curious, how do you choose which states to enter? And also, if this is the case, are there any states you choose to avoid? Yeah, you know, that's that's a great question. You know, I think that it's always important for a small company, right? We're, we're a 12-staffed company at this point in time. Um, you know, we have to be really strategic about, about where we like to position our platform and really stay focused on the growth within those states. So, you know, we really started off first with, you know, when we launched the company was, well, let's start in the states where we've got of relationships, right? This is a relationship-driven industry. So you want to start somewhere where you've got uh, some initial relationships built. So that was initially Colorado and, and Oregon. We have an office in Colorado, and we, we're headquartered in Portland, Oregon. So it made a lot of sense to start in those markets. Um, from there, you know, what we've really allowed us to do is, you know, through, as you've seen, the consolidation of, of licensees and brands within states, and you've seen the emergence of MSOs, right? Some of the you know, us going into new markets is dictated by some of our clients as they open up uh, you know, new license locations. Um, so we'll do that uh, as part of it. So some of our growth in markets is dictated by our clients and their growth as they use our system. They're like, hey, I'm you know moving to Michigan. I'd love to use your platform in Michigan. So ultimately, you know, now we're in Michigan, right? Um, and the other side for us is strategically looking at it is, you know, where are what we found from our perspective is more of the mature markets. These businesses, they've established their brand. You're starting to see supply and demand uh, level out where there's not an oversupply sometimes or an under demand. And typically what we're finding is that our model, when we don't, we're not the marketplace, right? We're a direct model. So we allow brands to connect with their retailers uh, through a, through a, you know, custom tailored storefront where they own the brand, where they, they own the brand and the buyer experience is very relationship driven. So what we've found is as markets mature, a lot of these businesses are looking for, they necessarily don't need to be on a marketplace. They're looking for an alternative solution. And that's what we provide. We're kind of that Shopify to Amazon as a very, basic comparison. So really what we've seen is the states themselves as they mature, uh, they're kind of looking for, for our solution. And so that's where we've kind of planned. It's like, you know, we've, we're in, you know, some of our largest markets now, you know, we're Colorado, Oregon, Washington, California, Nevada. Then we're seeing, you know, moving into Oklahoma, Michigan, and Massachusetts, among some others. So it's just an exciting time um, in the space. And we're just, you know, we're thrilled to be part of it and kind of offer again that a little bit different solution than uh, other competitors out there. Um, and it's just, it's yeah. been great. So, so when you go into a state, what does it mean in terms of a, a compliance or if you will, almost an onboarding perspective? And the reason why I ask is I just did a, a, a report on software companies in the, in the cannabis space and sort of how they're connected. And Apex actually scored really well in that because you're in multiple states. But you know, what does it mean? Is there a lot of rules and regs you have to internalize into your system in order to say, yep, we planted our flag in Michigan. Our clients are, are, are good to go now. How, how does that work? Gosh, that's a great question. You know, one of the unique things, right, that it sometimes makes it really hard for, for a software company is each state inherently is different, right? So some states are metric, some aren't, right? Some, um, you know, have, you know, different rules and requirements regarding products and some have different ones, right? So the thing that we're always really focused on is obviously we've structured our platform to be agile. So each state has its own, uh, you know, essentially it's interstate commerce. So we've been able to really tailor 
each specific state if they have specific you know requirements or things we've we've really from a data standpoint we've structured the platform to account for those nuanced differences and i think the other side is you know really from a marketing and a sales standpoint rob can speak to the marketing side you know different messages and there's different wants and needs within each state as well so it's not only from a platform standpoint we have to be very cognizant of what the new, those differences are and be able to react and be agile enough from a development side to to offer the right solution for that state but also from a marketing and sales standpoint it's different messaging right so someone in massachusetts right reacts differently to sales and marketing or messaging than someone in california right and i think i'm sure from the cbiz minute you guys are aware of that as well and, and i'm sure rob can speak to that so i think for us it's it's really you know spending the time to understand the market the people within those markets their wants and needs how that that market functions and then be able to really tailor not only the platform uh, but the way that we approach those markets in that manner. So, you know, that's something I think from being industry veterans, we're, we are very aware of and having worked in a lot of different states and run distribution companies, et cetera, is, you know, we, we recognize that. And I think that's really prepared us uh, for being able to, to obviously grow this company uh, for not only, you know, addressing these markets today, but the ones that are coming on inevitably, uh, you know, over the next few years. Right. So, um, Rob, you know, going sort of to that marketing side, one of the things I, I'd like you to help me un understand is you know, what part of the value chain Apex helps with? Like, you know, what are the boundaries? Like, do you go all the way from seed to sale uh, type functionality and, and hit all those markets? Or, you know, are you focused because you're, you know, a startup and, you know, you can't be all things to all people. So, you know, where do you draw those lines? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, that's one of the challenges I saw early on as I came out of mainstream and entered into cannabis um, was that companies started to lose focus. You know, they saw so much opportunity. You know, you might come in as a POS system uh, and then you start shifting to, uh, you know, a marketplace platform and um, then you're doing consulting and, you know, all of a sudden you've got uh, 50 different directions you're running in and, to me, that that just is leading towards failure. Uh, so what we've tried to do is is stay pretty focused on uh, the uh, order inventory and sales management tools. And then, as John touched on, you know, letting these companies own their brands rather than uh, you know being in a wide open marketplace where mm. you know ultimately Amazon becomes the place you're buying. Doesn't matter what the product is, you're going to Amazon. Uh, you know we don't want people to kind of look at it as I bought this from Apex Trading. We want it to be we bought this from you know uh, the Ultimate Green or whatever the name of the company might be. Um, so we've kind of uh, tried to stay focused in that realm and at the same time we recognize opportunities of being able to, you know, we've just added a uh, services page. Uh, so where we vetted uh, specific types of companies that we think um, augment or accentuate uh, our, our product, but can't really, um, you know, it's not a, an area that we want to go ahead and try to tackle. So we're vetting people and saying, you know, this is who we've given our thumbs up to if you're looking for a banking solution or you're looking for a lighting solution or you're looking for a digital advertising solution or an SEO solution or whatever. We're, you know, we're trying to um, keep our focus, but also um, expand our uh, ecosystem by nice. uh, partnering with other companies. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, sort of a follow on question I have is in terms of the ROI, you know, since you you are essentially built to you know 
streamline inventory order and sales management, et cetera. You know, what kind of impact can Apex have on 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 a business? Like, you know, what, what kind of returns are they seeing and, and making them excited? Because you've got a lot of clients and, you know, obviously you're, you're doing more than something, right? Yeah, you know, and, and that's, it's true, you know, and one of the things that we come and find, right, across these businesses is a lot of them, and I think that it's evolved a little bit past this, is you're typically finding a lot of manual processes and double work, right? So, you know, when you're thinking about someone managing their inventory on Excel sheet and then creating a marketing email off of that with the inventory and then sending it out and receiving orders and then having to manually update inventory and manually create invoices and, and send out testing, et cetera, we've been able to automate all of that, right? So it's a substantial internal cost savings. We also have built a new workflow management where we've automated the internal uh, communication throughout a company when it comes to fulfilling orders as well as downstream communication to a buyer. And we have a task management system as well, right? So we've really focused on driving internal efficiency for a business. And then of course, giving them the sales tools like a CRM, a marketing tool, uh, the, that custom storefront to, to engage with their buyers in a really direct and automated fashion as well. So, you know, for our, our standpoint, it's really driving that ROI and creating internal efficiency and helping them build their brand. You know, one of my favorite stories is, you know, we're going down here in a, in a, a few weeks down, down to this farm. Uh, it's called Benson Arbor in, in Southern Oregon. So it's a rural, um, you know, Southern Oregon farm that, that is really renowned out in the Pacific Northwest, a, a great client of ours, and, and we love that whole crew. You know, Noah recently told us we were on a phone call with him last week and he said, guys, I've sold two and a half million dollars through your platform and I don't have a sales rep. So like what's amazing for us is if these people have these amazing products, right? And the products do somewhat sell themselves in some way, shape or form, sometimes depending on the brand and what they've created. But for us, when we can look at that and say, here's a business owner that doesn't have to have a sales team right? We've automated that for them. That's a substantial cost savings. And sometimes when margins are tight, you're paying taxes and you have all these burdens on your business, you know, not having that cost potentially of that staff member, not saying I love, I'm a salesperson, right? So there's obviously pros and cons of me hearing that uh, from that perspective, as I like to obviously have more people employed in the cannabis space than not. But hearing that from a business to me, you know, that's going to allow him to expand his grow, right? Invest oh, yeah. in new technology and R&D, and that's, that's just, that's amazing, you know? And I, I think that's, you know, really where we're looking at is, you know, we're not only driving efficiency and we're going to allow these sales reps to do more brand-focused things, doing pop-ups, you know, working with bud tenders, educating them on the products, right? Because we know majority of consumer purchases are made based on bud tender recommendations. So we're allowing these brands to go and engage with these retailers in a fashion that's really helping build that brand and that relationship rather than just doing all of these manual labor steps, right? Mm. And I think that's the big piece for us. That's great. That's, that's great. And you, and you touched on brands and I appreciate that because Rob and I had a discussion about this back uh, late last year when you know we were reaching out to some of our customers and uh, not only did we discover that uh, we both had a Russian language uh, background in terms of study, but uh, also that we were challenged to get brand information. So Rob, I just want to check in, you know, how's that going now? Have you made any inroads into it? Because uh, uh, it's not something that's on our radar screen just yet, but uh, I, I know you were working on it. Yeah. So, you know, it is a challenge because you find so many of these um, uh, great name marks out there that aren't associated with uh, a licensed company. And so what I've been doing, you know, to kind of track those folks down for our for our sales team is, you know, use a combination of cannabis media, of course, uh, online searching and, uh, you know, just really those two in, in tandem being able to find 
you know, maybe the name of, of an owner, as an example, in an online search. So I might have the company's name and I do that. And then I take that owner name into cannabis and I start searching in cannabis by owner name. And lo and behold, you know, Bob Johnson pops up and I can kind of find and trace back to the, you know, original company that this, this in, um, you know, sort of IP brand or intellectual property brand that doesn't have a license attached to it, uh, but does have a common um, uh, leader or, uh, yeah. So that's, that's how I've been uh, kind of knocking those out, but it's still a challenge. And, you know, certain states are, are more so than others. Uh, Nevada is an example where it's really hard to find, uh, you know, if you know the name brand, the consumer facing name brand of a product, uh, that doesn't mean anything for you until you start really digging. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great story. And your anecdote is one that I've had to do as well, where somebody said, well, this is a license you should have. And I found that it wasn't a license. It was a trademark. And it was only by a person's name, just like you described, was the only way I could knit them all together and go back to the client and say, yeah, they don't have a license. But this guy, you know, John Doe, he's connected to this trademark and that's how it all sort of came together so uh well thank you for the for the background on that because uh, i was curious how it's uh, progressed and it is definitely something that you know we continue to look at as to how could we do a, a better job on that so i'll certainly keep you posted as we move forward thank you thank you so you know with that in mind you know you guys kind of take a, a multi-tiered approach to you know kind of uh, educating yourself and your sales staff um, I wanted to kind of ask you guys as long-term users what would you say is your favorite feature of the platform I'll go real quick and and Rob obviously he spends a lot more time within uh, cannabis media than than uh, sometimes I have a chance to but for me you know ultimately the like I, you need to get to the decision maker, right? And for my sales team, like when we, you know, signed up and started using cannabis media, it was so vital, right? The, the amount, like, you know, the sales process can, can be sometimes pretty long, right? And having to go through several gatekeepers or get to that decision maker can take several outreaches, right? Maybe over the course of sometimes several weeks or a month, right? So what I love is being able to go in find it and know who that owner is, right? Or who that general manager is. So that when I call, even if we don't have that email or that phone, I know who I'm asking for, right? And you're over, you're almost able to jump straight through the gatekeeper in that way or call that person directly. To me, that has been so vital and it has allowed us to, uh, you know, really speed up our sales process and our sell through. And that has been just pivotal uh, to our success in the short term. Yeah. And I'm happy to jump in too. So I would, you know, kind of in a in a related uh, comment, uh, it's the time savings. Uh, you know, we were spending, I was spending um, most of my evenings and a lot of my weekend time sifting through, you know, state databases and articles of incorporation and again, web searching and uh, Instagram and, you know, just piecing all this stuff together to try to find companies for us to market to. Uh, and, uh, then we found cannabis media and, you know, initially started off with just the one seat the first year to, you know, give it a try and quickly, quickly recognized how, you know, my weekends and evenings opened back up because I was just able to, uh, you know, spend my, uh, working hours, uh, you know, if I needed to find something, I just simply type it in. So that, that 
has to be the number one thing. And I tell, just so you guys are aware, I tell everybody about you uh, because we, we encounter so many people in the space. And I said, I just want them to know that the biggest time savings, biggest external tool thing that I found that, that has helped me is cannabis media. And now we have our whole sales team, you know, we've got the five seats. And so, uh, or not the whole sales team, but, uh, you know, the, the directors and stuff, they're all kind of dialed in. So, um, yeah, can't, can't tell you how much time it saved us. And thank you again for, for putting this all together. It's been fantastic. Well, I can't take full credit for it since I just joined the team this past year, but you're welcome. Thanks, Rob. Uh, love to hear how happy you guys are about the platform. Um, now, switching gears a little bit, looking towards uh, the future, um, I wanted to you know, kind of see what new initiatives are you guys currently working on, uh, specifically Bushel 44. Very curious to learn a little bit more about that. Yeah, we are so excited um, about the launch of our hemp platform. So about a year ago, we were obviously hitting the, the trade show circuit pre, pre-COVID, and we kept having hemp companies come up to us. And obviously, with the passing of the farm bill, we saw a huge move into that space. And, and they kept coming up saying, hey, can we use your platform? We love what you guys are doing in cannabis. We've heard of you or we see at this trade show, and we'd like to use it for hemp. And unfortunately, at that time, we were like, no. <laughs> and I laughed thinking about that because that's like the response you usually wouldn't have. And I said, because hemp's different, right? It's not interstate commerce. Uh, it can cross state lines. Uh, it's evolving more towards a commodity. And there's a lot of nuanced things within it. So for the last year, we've been custom building a new platform called Bushel 44 specifically uh, to address the issues within the hemp space. And um, while that market's still evolving and, and somewhat we're building the plane as we're flying it, um, it is something that so far, you know, we're, we're really positioning as, you know, we're not a list and hope marketplace for hemp. That's what everyone's doing. What we're doing is we're building an ERP specifically for hemp. So we're allowing these businesses now uh, to have all of the tools that they need uh, to not only run their business efficiently, but sell it effectively downstream to, to, their, uh, to their buyers or consumers. So, you know, Bushel 44 has been launched for a little over a month now. Um, we have about uh, 30 clients who are either onboarding or going through onboarding, um, and it's continuing to continuing to grow. And we're you know gearing up for our Series A raise, and that deployment of capital will be it's all growth capital. So you know it's all going to be deployed into sales and marketing, a little bit of dev, but mostly in growing uh, both Apex and Bushel into the future. Oh, that's that's great to hear. And uh, as I'm sure you well know, we have a lot of hemp licenses in the database. It's It's been a really uh, growing uh, part of the platform. And I think I just checked for a blog post I wrote that you know cultivation seems to be the biggest part of uh, the, the license landscape. I, I think close to 70% of the licenses that we have are for cultivation. So definitely a lot of people out there, although I've heard also that the acreage has shrunk this year drastically. So definitely some interesting times in the hemp space and having a solution like yours, I think can only be helpful in letting people achieve their financial goals. Because uh, as you said, it's, it's a commodity and uh, you know, that poses some unique challenges. Now uh, also looking forward, we have new states contemplating medical and rec programs at the next election, which is not that far away. You know, any predictions, insights, and, you know, how early do you need to be planning for these events? Like if a state comes on, are you right in there or do you need that market to develop first? You know, I'll, I'll take a swing at that first. I'll, I'll let Rob jump in. You know, and I, um, 
you know, I don't, I don't have that, uh, that magical ball where I can rub an endo into the future. I don't like to necessarily make the predictions as far as the political landscape and, and those would come, some, come back to bite you. But I know one thing, right? I know that COVID has really disrupted state, uh, state budgets. We know that there's now going to be less, you know, less taxes coming in sometimes and, and there's going to be budget shortfalls. And ultimately, right, cannabis uh, is a great tax revenue generator. You can look at any state with that. And I think that the social uh, stigmas around cannabis, uh, whether that's criminal uh, or not, it, they're breaking away, right? We're finding a lot of those to be false. So I think what we're going to see is we're going to see more progressive action at a state level uh, to look at cannabis um, as a way, uh, a program that not only is going to you know, potentially help people with health and wellness that we all know about, right, from a medical standpoint, right, but from a recreational adult use standpoint, I think it's a great revenue generator. I think it's going to help states um, react and be able to bring in revenue uh, in this new COVID era that we're all in. Um, and ultimately, right, we're seeing record sales in every adult use market right now, right? Colorado, California, they've all come out um, and said, you know, they're, they've had these record numbers. Um, I think that's evidence that this is an industry that's here for the long haul. And I think that states, uh, whether it's a conservative state or not, um, you know, they, they're missing out, not at least considering cannabis and looking at it as a viable option, not only um, for the people, you know, their, um, you know, their constituents within their um, respective state, but also, right, from a tax level. So I think that, uh, you know, and Colorado is a good example of that, right? You know, when they had a budget shortfall a few years ago with roads and hospitals, what'd they do? Well, they looked at cannabis, right? That was the way that they were going to make up for that. So ultimately, you know, I think there's a lot of, you know, in the last few years, there's evidence where it's really helped states. Uh, and I think now as we look into the future, we're going to see that evolution and that move, you know, no matter what happens in the next presidential election, right? Um, you know, Joe Biden's come out not as necessarily supportive of, you know, cannabis legalization as, as people would want. Um, but ultimately, right, I think it's the states that are going to determine over the next few years what's best for them and their constituents. Um, and I think we're starting to see a, a big move in, in, in the positive direction. And if I could just uh, piggyback on that, uh, you know, as John mentioned, that that tax relief that could come from cannabis for those states is just as tasty a nugget for the uh, for the feds, too. So, you know, all of the, uh, you know, challenges with all the stimulus packages and things that, you know, that we're spending a lot of money. How can we recover or recoup some of that money? Uh, federal cannabis legalization um, even though, as John mentioned, you know, uh, Joe Biden may not be as um, strong on that as we might hope, uh, I think the numbers might push, uh, you know, everybody to go for federal. And if that happens, then we've got the banking question solved and just all sorts of things. So, you know, we're in this really precarious time, as John said, making predictions is tough, but I would say that uh, if a number of additional states uh, go to legal, uh, then, you know, the Fed's going to be eyeballing that tax revenue or uh, and we should you know, have have the big shift that we've been hoping for for years. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we'll see what happens come November, um, you know, just echoing what you guys are saying as a Coloradan who has benefited from the tax benefits from cannabis. Uh, you know, it really helped our state during COVID-19. So, you know, very curious to see, you know, how this plays out uh, come November. Um, but thank you so much, uh, John and Rob, for joining us on today's show. It was really a pleasure uh, catching up with you both and learning more about um, Apex Trading at Bushel 44 and uh, what you guys see coming up for us in the future.
pleasure, Amanda, Ed. Thank you so much for having us. Of course. Thank you. All right, Ed, that was a fantastic interview. I am so happy that we were able to get this done today. Um, wanted to check in with you and see what do we have to look forward to uh, from the Data Vault in the coming weeks? Yep. Well, we just finished up a can of curio on the rest of the Virginia hemp licenses. So we did a blog post last week on distributors, and now we've looked at essentially the whole market. So now there's approximately 2,300 in the system now. Most of them are cultivators um, across those three activities. And we just refreshed Nebraska hemp licenses today with about 40 additions. So as I said earlier, a, a lot of updates coming into the system, You know, no new states coming on board necessarily, but certainly a lot of refresh of the data that we have. Wonderful. I know a lot of our subscribers will be happy to hear that uh, the Virginia hemp licenses are in. I can't believe it's almost 2300. That's crazy. Uh, as well as the updates on Nebraska. So thank you, Ed, as always. Uh, and everyone, thank you for joining us on today's podcast. We're your hosts, Amanda Guerrero and Ed Keating. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay tuned for more updates from the Data Vault. Thanks for listening to the Canacurio podcast by Cannabis Media. Stay up to date with the latest episodes of the podcast and get alerts on the latest licensing activity in the United States and Canada, as well as exclusive industry insights by signing up for the Cannabis Media licensing newsletter at cannabis.media newsletter.